in part one of the Tale of Two Rivals Rookie QB series, Todd and Dave will break down their first tier of incoming rookie quarterbacks. Stay tuned. A fantasy football podcast put on by your three peak. Go with your gut. All I do is win, 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 no matter what champion. And a numbers obsessed, spreadsheet loving, Twitter follower accounting nerd to share with you, the listener, some kind of consensus on some stuff. Hey, buddy. What's going on, Todd? Excited. We've been a little quiet the last couple of weeks. You, sir, have a lot on your plate. We've got we're ton, a very exciting time of the fantasy season. Todd, I'm excited to sit down and spend some time and talk rookies with you. I am excited for rookie season. Uh, as a C2C guy, I um, it, it's a I feel like being in a C2C league gets you prepped for this and excited for that turn. Like you've been like prepping with these guys for a long time. Uh, there's one guy in here that I've just been like big on since he was a freshman, and so I'm excited to talk rookies, man. With the prep, it was nice to uh, take away the impatience of waiting for my second child. That should be coming any day now. I am very excited, a little anxious, but uh, I'm also excited to be talking some rookies. But before we get into that, Davey, time for question of the day. Time for the question of the day. I am pumped for this one. One of my favorite times of year. All right. St. Patty's Day is right around the corner. So there is plenty of traditions to go into this holiday. Dave and I are going to go through a few of them. Just do a little yay or nay. To how we feel about St. Patty's tradition. So, first one, David. Yay or nay? Eating corned beef and cabbage. No, I'm not a big corned beef and cabbage guy. I I will tolerate it. I'll, I will uh, scoff it down, but uh, I'm much there for the boiled potatoes and the Irish soda bread. I'm a hell yeah on the corned beef and cabbage. I'm a huge corned beef and cabbage fan. It's like the one thing I have to do on St. Patty's Day is have corned beef and cabbage. Big fan of the corned beef and cabbage. Mm. Do you make it? Your your mom make it? Joanne make it? How does how- Joanne Joanne makes it, and it's delightful. It is delightful. So, all right, next one. Guinness. Are we drinking a Guinness on St. Patty's Day, David? No, sir. As you know, I am not a beer guy, and a porter would be the furthest type from the type of beer that I would care for. Uh, have- it, it's a stout. Stout, stout porter. Beer, you know buddy. what I'm trying to say. It's it's, yeah. it's a dark beer. Yeah, it's a stout. Yes, I, I now that it, once the porter came out of my mouth, that was pretty stupid of me. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> the real question is, do I leave this in for the edited? <laughs> I love. I I mean, I'm a Guinness fan, but I'm like not like getting big on that. And on that note, hell no to green beer. That's just so gimmicky and dumb. Like I I hate it. Like green beer, blech, unnecessary. Just unnecessary. All right. For the record, people know that Todd should no. Todd's a beer snob. He's a yeah. beer snob. So. And I don't want food coloring in my beer. If you put food coloring in my beer, that beer sucks. All right. Irish whiskey, Dave. Yes, sir. As I, 
love me my Irish whiskey. That's I will either if I'm ever doing shooters or anything, I'll do an Irish whiskey or a or a Crown. Those are my two whiskey types. Screw the American whiskey. Yeah, so the, a big time. And Quinn lived not very far from the Jameson factory. I have an, a ten year old reserve bottle of Jameson with my name engraved in the bottle, which we cracked up for the first time on my wedding day. So love me Irish whiskey. And the St. Patch's Day just brings out that love for Ireland in general. Well, David, I'm a red blood and American, and I prefer my bourbon. America! So, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't say no to an Irish whiskey in front of me, all right? Are you a St. Patrick's Day guy in general? Not really. I'm not. When I was younger, I was, because it, ty- it was an excuse to have fun. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm a quarter Irish, too, but no, nah, just never really been into it. Oh, Todd. Todd, Todd, Todd. I... Sir, it is my fa- one of my favorite holidays. Some of my favorite nights in college were on St. Patrick's Day, or maybe even St. Patrick's Day morning. Uh, and we, I would have been, I've been over to Ireland twice for long times to visit Quinn. Surprise, surprise! Big fan of St. Patrick's Day. All right, so let's get into the topic: QB prospects. So people have viewed this QB class as underwhelming, and but there should be at least like multiple guys going in the first to early second round, if not like four to five. Right? So, yeah, there's no Burrow. There's no Fields. There's no Lawrence level prospect. But there is talent here. And people slept on Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, Hurts, Mac Jones in recent rookie drafts. And look where they are now. So, let's try not to get caught up in the underwhelming narrative. And we're going to dive into these guys a little bit. And since Dave and I have very, like, very different processes, uh, Dave's going to come at this more from a numbers perspective. And I'm going to be coming at it from speaking from, like, a C2C guy who's been, like, playing these guys or playing against these guys and and also a film perspective because i really enjoy the film side so um yeah so we're gonna break it down we're gonna tell you like where we see them in tiers uh possible landing spots uh knocks on each guy and what we like about each guy so uh dave before we get into like breaking down our first guy what's your pre-draft process because we know capital is king but we don't know that yet so what's your pre-draft process i've gotten a lot more refined. I'm a lot happier with my QB process now than I was four or five years ago. I really look at it from five major things. It, it, it could have only gone up, buddy. It can only have gone up. Exactly. <laughs> I used to be a lot more reliant on some really stupid things. And now I've, t- I've really shifted to more of a trying to figure out what the type of player they are based on their age, experience, efficiency, rushing ability, and accuracy. Uh, QBs with an age of 21 or 22 hit at twice the rate of QBs who are 23 or 24 and have fewer misses as well. Uh, experience, when you combine games played with age, you get a pretty good signal for the kind of talent they are. Now, this isn't for every single case here, but on the whole, it's a it's a decent measure for, for talent. The, you know, you, the more games you play at a certain age, that means that you are able to beat out people on your roster. Now, there are certain programs who have... There's harder to play against uh, your competing QBs and everything, but still, on the whole, even in those programs, those better QBs rise to the top. And then you've got efficiency. It's a great approximation of talent. Uh, The best QBs were efficient in college. Uh, I I use adjusted yards per attempt because it it that stat is a good measure of like average after target, their interceptions, their TDs, uh, their decision making ability, and and their accuracy. And then for rushing ability, I mean, everyone talks about it now. I don't have to go into that, Todd. But pure passes are just a little bit harder to nail. They, there's a little bit more variance when you're drafting them if they're going to be good or not. 
and they take a little bit longer to become fancy studs than the rushing QBs who have that rushing production right away. And I'm not talking about every player needs to be Lamar Jackson or anything, but Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert get a huge boost from their even, you know, 20, 30 rushing yards per game. So I like to look at rushing yards and rushing attempt market share to illustrate rushing ability. And then accuracy, it's a great approximation for decision-making, in my opinion. The better QBs make better decisions and they're more accurate with the ball, better te- and that also they have better technique. And now I weigh this less than I do I used to in the past because sometimes it's double counting the efficiency part, but I still really like to know how good my quarterback is from passing from a clean pocket. That's still a pretty nice sticky metric. But that, yeah, that's how I do it, Todd. Those are my five ways to approach it. Now, now I know you're a lot different now. How, what's your pre-draft process like? I'm actually not that different than the way that we like what we focus on. I just think we focus on it in like different ways. Of course, draft capital and landing spot uh, is going to be the number one. But I'm not going to go in order of who was drafted. Like Zach Wilson was the second off the board, but he was my firm QB4 last year. You know, so like clearly, but this like is a pre-draft list. And I'm doing a little bit of a guessing game of who goes first, but like, this is how I do my process before I see all that other first is production and experience. They call it hand in hand counting stats and efficiency and how long they've started. I put a lot of stock into somebody who's been a productive true freshman and a power conference. And that's a huge transition from high school football. So how many years you've been a starter rolled into that production value? And then I'm going to just throw out arm talent. Yep, super subjective term, but I trust my eyes when I put them with the numbers. Placing the deep ball on the back shoulder, the zip, and the release time on those intermediate throws. Throwing under pressure without the room to make a step. These are the examples of the arm talent that I want to be able to see because those are the things that are going to help you adjust at the next level because it's going to be faster. There's going to be more pressure in your face. You're going to have to have less time to do the arm talent, just overall them as a passer. And I break down into like a little more of a co- like into a subcategory rushing ability. You know, I'm not going to go in that like Dave said, but I'm not going to default draft the best running QBs over other. If you can't complete passes at a and at a like a good level, if you can't do it at an effective level, you're not going to keep the job as a starting QB in the NFL. So passing over rushing any day of the week, but the combination and the Konami code is where you come where it's at. But it's not a. I, I feel like people kind of like fall into that a little bit too hard. Accuracy over arm strength. I don't need my QB to have the ultimate deep ball. Uh, Brady supposedly couldn't have thrown a deep ball when he came out, and he did pretty well. So accuracy and pass efficiency over that sexy deep ball. Competition level absolutely has something to do with it. If you play in the SEC, you get the ultimate respect for me in the process, but Power 5 guys totally hold that down. It's not, like I said, it's like the fifth part of my process, but that's something that definitely factors in. And then this is one of the only positions and part of my process is a winner and intangible because that's the position. Are you a leader? Have you been competitive and a winner in your school? This is the only position that really puts talk into that because, and it's clearly not that high in my process in the last step, but it's something that I could see a little bit of a break and like a change with certain things because those guys have to be able to command a bunch of professionals on a football team. And you've seen guys like Ryan Leaf who had like all the talent in the world, but didn't did not have that winning in that those intangibles to put it together. Plenty of guys that could have been phenomenal QBs that just didn't have that it factor. It's definitely something that I think about. And there's one guy in that we're going to talk about. I don't think has it. And I think he's been a little too hype and we'll get into that. Way. Todd, I will just say competition level. Good point. I do factor that in. I look at these uh, over 
I look at how they do compared to other players in their conferences, and I do discount FCS type talent. I've learned from my or my Mountain West, my Kyle Oletas. I've learned, I've learned. Even, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you loved yourself some Trey Lance, baby. Oh well, well that's different. Uh, Trey Lance, totally different <laughs> animal. No, he is. He is. It was just fun to throw out. I will say too, uh, as far as the when you're talking about those intangibles, do you? I find it's tough to hear because I remember hearing a lot of question marks about Justin Herbert's intangibles. You hear things. I feel like some narratives can go awry with that stuff. Todd, how do you find those hit or miss? Like, how do you balance? You know what I'm trying to say? I'll actually throw out a guy that we'll get into later. I would say like Desmond Ryder. He's a born leader. He's a tough competitor. And he, he got it out some like, uh, and some really tough points. He doesn't really get rattled very. Like those are things that show up when you watch him. And he looks poised. He looks like he commands an offense. And, you know, and they win. They were a winning program. And it's a team that's not historically good at winning. So that's a guy that stands out to me with great intangible. If you're coming in as a true freshman and you're handed the reins to a, to a college offense, like there's something about you that makes that trustworthy enough. Like your talent alone cannot make you a day one starter as a freshman program. There's an intangible in that. There's a leadership pro like in like the awareness, the intelligence, the like the confidence. Like there are things that you can't measure. And those are where guys like Russell Wilson threw through the cracks, Dak Prescott, these are guys that went later, but they had that factor and they were all successful in college. And I think that that's something that gets overlooked a lot. There's a guy that's pretty high in my rankings that I actually have a lot of question marks when it comes to that. I it's definitely hit or miss, but that's why it's lower in there. So it's kind of like like, if you were between, like, Zach Wilson last year and Mac Jones, and they're, like, neck and neck with you for where you put in the rankings, those intangibles, Mac Jones should have been pushing towards the front. The guy was a born leader. He beat out of, like, one of the most heralded QB prospects in the last decade to be to maintain a starter. And there's something about him that made him be able to keep the job, you know? So, like, yeah, it's not sticky, right? But it could be something that can kind of be, like, the part that sways you from like one guy to the other. Definitely. All right, cool. I'm ready to, you know, we you you mentioned Ritter. I'm ready to start just talking names, man. Who's the first QB we're talking, maybe? All right. The one, the only, Tar Heel Finest, Sam Howell. Have you mentioned him on the program yet? I, have I? <laughs> have I mentioned him? Maybe. Uh, may, maybe, maybe. I, I kind of like him. I, I'm kind of a fan. I'm kind of. Uh, Davey, why don't you tell us the numbers about Howell? First off, is he your number one QB? He's my number two QB, but it's it's pretty close here. It, it's close here. I, I've heard mixed a lot. You know, I try to also pay attention to what some QB gurus are telling me, the guys who watch the film. And I wanted to put him here, but I hear a lot of warts. Some people talk about a lot of warts too, but we'll get to that in your part of the analysis. But uh, Sam Howell, as my QB two, he's like you said, he's North Carolina from the ACC. He'll be 21 years old when he's drafting the NFL. He's seven two, or not seven two. He's uh, six foot, and he's two hundred eighteen pounds. And he has prerequisite hand size here. Now he had thirty seven games played in college. His career best completion percentage uh, in a clean pocket was seventy two point six percent, which is pretty good. It's right up there with a lot of these QBs as far as their their best completion percentage in a clean pocket. And his average was sixty eight point five percent, which is middle of the pack again here. But he was le- his average turnover-worthy play percentage was also lowest in this class at 2.6%. And what really stands out for me when I'm looking at Sam Howell's efficiency, Todd, 9.9 9 
career a or adjusted yards per attempt, and eleven point one was his best performance. You know, when you start getting the double digit AYAs, those are the good fantasy quarterbacks. That's how they performed in college. When you're getting double digits, eleven, twelve, that's the good stuff. And then his he was very you know his he uh, threw some decent amount of big uh, big time throws, which is a new PFF metric I'm looking at. Basically, your money throws like the you know you're really squeezing the window. Saw it at seven point uh, one point. 7.1% average for his career. Definitely pushed the ball down the field. 11.7 A dot for it was his best in his college career. And then also he had his, in his best career season, which was last season from a rushing standpoint, Todd, 10 rushing attempts per game. At, or no, sorry. He averaged 10 points for uh, a game for his career. 15.3 rush attempts last season, which was good for 35.7% of, of the rush attempts in uh, North Carolina, so not bad. And he had his best season was 828 rushing yards, and it basically came in that last season, which really flashed some intriguing stuff from a rushing point, and I think really could give him some fantasy floor. Todd, I talked about the numbers. Now take us through the more finer, or you know, the n- nuanced ways of the quarterback for us from Sam, uh, from a perspective of Sam Hell. All right. So the first thing is a lot of the criticisms you hear from uh, the peanut gallery with him, it would be his release time and that he holds the ball on too long. There's arm strength concerns, and there's poor decision-making. Um, I've seen the word poor decision-making. I think it's uh, all kind of a bull for a guy who was incredibly productive as a three-year starter in a major conference. The guy commanded the UNC offense from day one. That's amazing. And then he broke the ACC like freshman like past, like past TD record. He's unbelievable. The guy's got pinpoint accuracy all over the field. And he's got plenty of zip on his pass. I really don't see what people are seeing at. Yes, his mechanics could clean up a little bit, but that's like some minor adjustments and he could and he could make he could improve in the way that he works within the pocket. But you're looking at by far the best passer and most experienced QB in this class, right? So then when you also put in the fact that when his passer production definitely dipped off as a junior, but that's because he lost his top two receivers his top two running backs, and quite a few important line pieces. So then, what's he going to go do? He's going to go run the ball. And we see the rushing upside. So now we got a floor along with him being the best passer in the absolute freaking class. He is an uh, almost elite passing talent. He's up there. I've been on this bandwagon since he was a freshman. He is my QB1, and that is not changing until draft capital tells me otherwise. Number one in tier one. So, now, let's go in the best case scenarios for Sam Howell. Maybe Seattle at 9. I doubt it. But Pittsburgh at 20 seems perfect to me. But then you're looking at Detroit, Indy, and Houston in the early second would be an absolute steal for them. And I would actually love him in Indy or Detroit. All right. Worst case scenario. Though I think it would be ridiculous, I see the outside chance of him being a slide to the third round. And I really hope he doesn't end up in a backup position like a Minnesota, a Cleveland. But that's Unfortunately, there is a like a possibility of that because his draft capital, like predictions, is literally all over the map. I've seen him and the and the adjustments, like he's the toughest guy to actually nail down how people are feeling about him. Me, I'm going with what I believe and that he's the best quarterback in this class and he should be the first. Will he be the first QB off the board? Probably not, but I believe he should be. I Todd, if he does not go in the first round, I'm not sure if I can take him before the third round of fantasy draft. Like maybe late second, but Man, if he does not go in the first round, that's a big deal for me. And I know there's successful quarterbacks who have been drafted past out of the first round here, but it is the hit rates, 
everything else are a lot harder to to look at here. Now, again, Sam Howell shines in a lot of efficiency metrics, like all, all things you said. So it would make me hard to believe he would drop out of that first round. But man, it would be a big blow to me uh, if it, it did. For me, though, like the way I think about it, let's say like he gets past 20 for Pittsburgh, right? Then there's a really good chance that he might not even go again until 32, right? Which is essentially like the last pick of the first round. It was not essentially is the last pick of the first round. But then if he goes like two or three picks later to like, you know, an Indy or uh, an Indy or a Detroit, you're looking at a guy that like he's only four or five picks away from the first round. So to me, I'm not really as worried about that when it's like within the first 10 picks of the second round, which I don't see how he gets by at that point, because I'll put it to you this way, that that top of that, like that second round is loaded with QB needy teams. And I'm going to get into that a little bit later. Or next time. All right. If, if a team is stupid enough to trade up for Jordan Love and they don't do it for Sam Howell, there's a problem. Because Sam Howell is a much better prospect than Jordan Love was. In every single possible way. In like every single possible way. All right. Next guy, Malik Willis, David. Break him down for us. So Malik Willis, he's my QB1, and it's basically because his rushing stats. I'm going to start with his rushing when we're talking about Malik Willis. But first, I will say he went to Liberty, which I think just is just now D1. Like It's an independent conference now. But he'll be at age 23 come uh, draft day. And he had a career average of 10.5 attempts per game. His best season was 15.2 attempts per game, rushing attempts per game. And his average attempt Maverick share for his career was 33% of the his team's rushing attempts, which is a very high number. And he had over 2,100 career rushing yards, just under 1,000 yards in his best rushing season, which was 944 yards. So Malik Willis can rush. He played in 35 career games, which is pretty low for someone who's 23. Now, I should mention, too, there's a little bit of a caveat with that people need to remember with COVID. Teams can lost games, so you're not going to be quite as strict here, but still, 23 years old, only 35 games played. Couldn't break through when he was at Auburn. That's a concern for me. Not a terribly accurate thrower. Now, he does push the ball down the field over 11, dot for his career. His best completion percentage is 67% from the clean pocket. So that's nothing special. He does turn the ball over to almost a full percentage point to the next closest person. His best turnover worthy uh, play percentage was 3.7%, which is high. And then 4.5% was his average turnover worthy plays for his career. So he almost 30% more than anyone else in this class, as far as Lucy goosey with the ball. Uh, And then he's barely scrapes by some efficiency Threshold stuff, minimum thresholds, 8.6 career adjusted yards per attempt. His best was only 9.0. 9.0 is really that floor. If you're going to start saying that you're an NFL caliber thrower, you want to be over nine adjusted yards per attempt, which he barely does at Liberty. And just middling efficiency. You know, we're talking Desmond Ritter type efficiency. He does throw the ball, like he does risk it and biscuit a little bit more, risk it for the biscuit a little bit more. Big time throw percentages up in the almost the his best was 11%, which is three percentage points more than Sam Howell's. So he really has a little bit of a gunslinger in him. And that kind of wraps him up, Todd, from a statistical standpoint. Yeah, I mean, and the Liberty thing is like, you know, he was a four-star guy that uh, went to Auburn. Um, he couldn't beat out Jared Stidham. That's who uh, took took the was reign. It, Bo, it wasn't Bo Nix? 
It was Jarrett and him, then it was Bo Nix. But I think he was out Auburn by the time Bo Nix came in. Oh, but, but was, uh, it must have been some Bo Nix dr- chirping, though. He must have heard it down the pipeline. Bo, Bo Nix had a pretty good first year, and then he just, like, became Bo Nix. Yeah, Bo Nix actually is went, he's going to Oregon this year, Dave. So, uh, I saw that. I actually I did he see might, that. He, he might have a little bit of a rebirth. That's a, that's a good offense. The obvious criticism of Will, uh, Willis is his, his, his competition level, right? I mean, Liberty's not playing, like, up in, in in most games, you know? He did play in an epic Bowl against an underrated Grayson McCall and that Coastal Carolina team that was good. But he's the best running QB I've seen since Kyle Murray. And he's got an incredibly strong arm, like Dave was saying about the Gunslinger. But his release and his accuracy are just not consistent at all. And he's really quick to get out of the pocket and scramble from under pressure, which leads him to take off with his legs very often, opposed to waiting to throw the ball. And that gives him an excellent floor as a talented runner, but he's still got to stand and deliver in the pocket and deliver to be successful at the next level. And that's something that he does not regularly do because he relies too much on his athleticism than being the that kind of an efficient passer, all right? Strong arm, solid accuracy, but his ball also tends to float a lot. So, like, kind of like like receivers are, like, slowing down to catch the ball. He's not really hitting him in stride all the time. And he does miss a lot of easy throws, and that's against lesser competition, like we really talked Um, So he's not he's not as polished passer, to say the least. He actually wasn't recruited as a quarterback. He was recruited as an athlete. So uh, he wasn't even, there was a lot of situations of why he could play different places. Clearly, because he's a phenomenal athlete, right? So his ceiling is super high if a coach can coach him up and adjust him to the competition level quickly. But this guy is not a locked-in successful star in the NFL. Now, he's still my QB, too, and he's my number five overall in Superflex rankings with Howell with four. And that's based off elite athleticism, the predicted draft capital in my head, the opportunity that will be ahead of him, and just flat out his potential, you know? But there's definitely risk in this pick. All right, so tier one QB, best case scenario. Carolina at nine or Seattle at nine would make the most sense as the best case scenario. And lots of hype that he's probably going to be the first QB off the board from a lot of Um From a worst case scenario, I don't see him getting out of the first round. And teams love athletic co- quarterbacks, and he's ultra athletic, you know? So I doubt he makes it past, makes it to pick 32, which belongs to the Lions when the Rams traded uh, that pick to them. And I don't see how he could be passed up if he actually made it that far. Uh, I imagine that he's probably going to be the first QB off the board. Uh, he could go as high as six or nine, but there's no way he's getting out of the first round with lines holding that 30. I've heard a lot of top five pick lately, Todd. I have too. Um, I, I I wouldn't do it. I, I just think you're putting a lot of stock into a guy that couldn't break through in a major program, um, played in a lesser conference, and he's not a fantastic passer and he man he throws like this side he looks like dennis eckersley throwing a football Todd, you know the, what i mean it, it's crazy you know the i i've heard that as well todd what i something sticks to me i wish i could remember who said it but i read this on twitter and it has stuck with me ever since malik willis is who people think that jalen hurts is but jalen hurts really isn't that player like he is what everyone criticizes Jalen Hurts for being, that's who Malik Willis is, and I think Jalen Hurts is better than that. So that's kind of where I think Malik Willis is. That That's well said. I mean, I love him for the upside piece, but it's a pick that 
you can't be certain that it's going to pan out. That's the way that I feel. So, so if he's your one o or if he's your QB two, I take it you're not taking him one o one in superflex drafts. No, I, I, if you're the way that I look at superflex drafts right now is, and obviously we'll talk about this when you know draft capital comes out. If you're not taking Brees Hall one o one, trade the pick. Like that's that's what it is. Like if you want a QB and you should be trading the one o one for somebody who wants Brees Hall and you should go get somebody who's established. You hear that, Jay Powell? You don't have a QB. You're going to want a quarterback here. So stop being stubborn with a 101. No, he's going to be stubborn. He doesn't know any better. <laughs> That's fine. I hope he's listening. I can't uh, draft. I can't try. I can't give away Jonathan Taylor right now. No. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> so the point is, I'm just saying, is that like at that 101, like I would not be taking Willis. And and he's a, he's a popular pick at 101. It's either him or Hall every time. I, I firmly believe that. Out, his rushing ability is just giving way too much credit to the other things that are issues with this guy. He's he's not going to be able just to run the ball the whole time. He's not if, Michael Vick either. He does not have that kind of arm talent. You know what I mean? If if Todd, he's also he, not the kind of runner that Michael Vick is either. Just for the record, just throwing if, that out. If he doesn't get top ten draft capital, I'm sorry. Like, there's no. I don't think I can take him one one. Now, if he gets top five, I might play like in the NFL draft. I might play with the idea because you're, there's a certain amount of commitment there, so I can get one or two years of Jalen Hurts. Sure, if I'm QB, des- you know, whatever QB. But right now, I have a hard time seeing that J- uh, Brees Hall is my 101. It's it's just Willis is not a sure thing by any means. I understand that there's a ceiling and a floor with the rushing ability, but he is not the same type of pa- uh, r- passer that some of these other QB. Uh, rushing quarterbacks have been lately. Trey Lance was a significantly better passer, significantly better passer, and they're the same tier as rushing ability. But I'll put a Willis a little bit higher than Lance. But they're in the same tier as rushing. But Trey Lance was a superior passer to. Also, I, look, I see Malik Willis g- helping out homeless people in Indy. I'm not sure how genuine that. You know, who knows how staged that is, Todd? But. Uh, I'm probably being serious. You're probably very nice. I'm being a little feisty there, but where did I'll just that come from. Like, where, I'm gonna, like, where it's coming from is that Liberty is University is a scumbag university. Liberty University is a scumbag university, and I hold that against Malik Willis that he went there. Why is it a scumbag university? Look it up. Look it up. It's a, it's a terrible place. All right, <laughs> it's got awkward. Next, uh, so we're gonna go with Matt Corral. Uh, I don't know how Dave feels about Ole Miss. I guess we're about to find out. David? I don't mind. I mean, Ole Miss, there's some Confederate flags out there at some of those Ole Miss games, but it's not as bad. No. So, <laughs> but Matt, Cor- now I'm all, uh, I should probably get back on track here. Matt Corral, 23 years old, out of the SEC at Ole Miss, like you said. Uh, he's 6'1", 212, requisite hand size. He also played in 37 games played, but at the age 23 compared to Sam Howell, who was 37 games played as well. Uh, Matt Corral has a little bit more accuracy than the rest of these QBs. Uh, 73% was his best completion percentage from clean pocket, which is tops in this class. His average was 70.2%, also top in this class. He had the lowest uh, best turnover-worthy play percentage tied with actually Desmond Ritter, which was surprising, and very low average turnover-worthy plays for his career here. But his efficiency, Todd, is right up there with Sam Howell in a tougher conference in the SEC. 9.2 career air yards per attempt. His best was 10.1. So yeah, starting to look pretty solid when you're starting to look at other 
efficiency numbers from the successful number of quarterbacks when you start getting up that 10 range. Uh, efficient, you know, from a, you know, NFL passer efficiency, the stats very efficient. Uh, doesn't have, is more uninspiring from a big time throw pr- perspective. He doesn't really have that part to his game, at least from a numbers perspective. And his A dot is, is right, is the second lowest out of these top five at 9.9. So doesn't push the ball down the field like a Sam Howell does, but he, he's a little bit more accurate at that shorter distance. And he has some uh, a decent, his career attempts per game were nine uh, rush attempts per game in the SEC. He averaged, or his, you know, I should say his top rushing yards was 614 rushing yards, which is pretty good. It's pretty good. Like, that's not, like you said earlier, Michael Vick or Cam Newton. Yeah, just, it's not that high, but it's definitely going to get you 10, 15 yards a game in the NFL. So, uh, and he had his average, he averaged 20% of his team's rushing attempts in college. So that means that they had no problem taking the ball down and rushing when he had to, Todd. So that kind of wraps up Matt Corral from a statistical standpoint. But you have no problems with Ole Miss as a universe. I've already alienated any listeners potentially from one university tonight. I'm not going to do it for a second one. What is the speed limit on Ole Miss's campus? 15 miles an hour? I don't know. <laughs> it's 18 miles per hour. Why is I, it 18 miles per hour? Is that Eli Manning's college number? No, dude. It's Archie Manning's college number. Oh, okay. Sorry. Oh, there you go. Hey, I got the, the right family. Yeah. Uh, All right. All right. So... So the knock on him is really that the need for the RPO piece and the poor decision making. But the guy literally has improved in his awareness and his production every year that he's been a starter and he's a three-year starter. Well, he's a two-year starter and he played significant time in his uh, second season because he was a redshirt guy. Talk can I interrupt real quick? Yeah. That, that, they talked about his like, Poor decision making, Todd. Is that from like one game where he had a lot of interception? That one game that everyone always talks about. Uh, that game gets really overblown, but it's also because he he like he forces ball into a lot of spots. He like he walks in on one read is what I've heard a lot. Like he doesn't go through his progressions as much, but he has really improved in that as in a year. So I think he's still kind of getting that like that off of his back a little bit from uh, that previous year. And that previous year, he was a lot more of a gunk square. But he was a lot more like posed and like and like put together like and efficient. I, the word I'm looking for is efficient. He was more efficient this year. But um, with that said, you're I, I love this kid. And before going to the season, I didn't. I was just not a fan. I was a skeptic. And then I co-managed a team with our boy Kevin Coleman, Dub Boys 22. All right, who loved him. And I respect Kevin so much that I'm like, all right, man. Like we're so far apart on this that like. I got to dive into this kid more, and I did come out with a totally different mindset with him. Tough, a leader, a runner with a good arm who plays well against good competition. In particular, he had a good game against Bama, which is enough for me to say, like, all right, you play well against Bama, that's that's a good indicator for me, all right? he's also And like I said, he's steadily improved over the last three years. So he's got a rock-solid profile with no glowing weaknesses, but I wouldn't put him in an elite to, like, great category for anything either. And he wasn't, however, hasn't been really spectacular in any games this year except against Austin Perry and Tulane. So, like, he really wasn't, like, blowing anybody away. So, with that said, how is a significantly better passer? Will is a significantly better runner? So, he's firmly my QB3 at the bottom of the tier. All right? So, base case scenario, again, Carolina at 6, uh, Seattle at 9. He's another guy that we, could be the first QB off the board, but I still think it'll be Willis, though it should be Howell. 
looking at that, but this is a guy that absolutely is going to get picked in the early second round. So there's nine out of the out of 16 teams in the beginning of the first round that all have QB questions. He's going to have some unreal value to any team in the early part of the second round that needs a QB. And Dave, I get what you're saying from with this, but I don't really see who, like, what running back or wide receiver you're vaulting over these QBs that would be early second round picks that they just don't carry the value. I, I would be thrilled to get him at the end of the first round if he became an early second round pick, and I would think it's an absolute steal. What? Wait, what? What did I say? <laughs> you were talking about guys coming out of the, like, QBs coming out of the first round. Oh. And how you okay. would pick them. And, and, like, my whole point is that if it's early second, I'm not really caring about it being, like, that capital. If it was, like, a late second round pick, I, you know, I could get that. But if you're within, like, the first 10 picks of the second round, like, I, to me, it's, it's, it's not that big of a deal for me not having the first round capital for that. If teams, Todd, because there's a lot of teams in that back end of the first round, don't they totally are okay trading into the beginning of the second. And it's usually an, an indication that team believes in that in that player and they want them in there at the that QB, the, the lower rookie contract for that fifth year. That's what it really signals to me. So, you know, peop, Baltimore believed in Lamar Jackson enough to go up and get him and give him and faith in that final that fifth year option. That means something to me. Okay, so the thing with me in this class is is that I think that the depth that's going to be coming into the second round is that if you're really liking certain guys, like a few guys, then you could even have options or at least one of them to fall to you, and then you address other things. You know what I mean? In that first round. If an NFL team believes that they're your quarterback in the future, like Russell Wilson, like I think he fell into their lap and it worked out. Dak Prescott fell into their lap and worked out. Famously, Michael Irvin said, called them up and said you had to take him or something. It wasn't like that was the plan. They thought he was going to be their QB of the future. And they're like, or oh, we'll take whoever we can get from this top tier. I don't, I don't think it's the same type of tiers as it was last year either. That makes sense. No, it totally does. That, that last class was significantly better than this. Like, hands down. The only guy that I would possibly put in that top five would probably be Howell. And like maybe Willis for the upside, but that's, that's it for that last class. But the point is like, I'm trying to make is that like, I always agree with you. If you're trading up for a guy and the team wants to go out and get him, Clearly, that's a strong indicator that you should have some faith in that guy because that team did. But my point is, just because a team doesn't do that doesn't mean I need to write off that player as having value because they were they missed being a first-round pick by like five or six picks. You know what I mean? I just think that that's a little arbitrary in, in that point, you know, where that's still significant capital and if there's opportunity there, I'm absolutely going to try to jump in on that, especially if there's a strong supporting cast. So that's where we're going to differ. And I have... No first round picks in our in our league, so first second round picks in our league, so it doesn't really matter them saying this. Anyway. Neither one of us do. <laughs> yeah, so it doesn't really matter. I trade them all away. So um all right. Twenty three is better. And that wraps up the first part of our rookie QB series here on Tale Two Rivals. Catch you next week with part two. Until next time. <laughs>